0: The Doctor Is In is a co production of Bobby Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.
1: Hi, everybody, this is Dr. Ray. You are listening to a least worst of The Doctor Is In. We have no best of, but this is truly one of our least worst. All right, let's answer your question and give you some good
2: news. Yeah, I was afraid you were going to say that.
1: I'm on her side, and I don't know exactly what her side is. I think you're
3: totally spot on with that. I sound inept
1: just to help you out.
3: It's been a rough week, thanks to your advice.
1: Are you a regular listener to this program?
3: As much as I can be.
1: There's your problem.
3: I would not ever disagree with you because you're so smart. You have a lot of answers to a lot of things.
1: You don't want to listen to... To me on the radio so what do i do i can't give you any direction
3: thank you for empowering me i needed that
1: i'm losing you buddy i don't know what you're trying to say
4: well uh do you know somebody who does
1: now from the studios of living bread radio network in canton ohio
0: the hometown of mother angelica here's dr ray
1: mm-hmm. yes yes i see Tell me more. You must feel very frustrated. Well, I'm just trying to be a big radio host. You know, they always say, i got to go in and do show prep for four hours. So I came in, I'm doing show prep. I'm here at the studios of Catholic Answers in San Diego. It is 10 o'clock in the morning here. So I've got basically three hours to correct anything dumb that I say because normally this show is broadcast at 1 o'clock Eastern Time. So I'm three hours ahead. Plus, I'm messed up. I woke up this morning at 4 a.m. Why? Because my body said it was 7 a.m. And I woke up and just sat there waking up. One more thing I want to say about being in San Diego these people are frauds their whole publicity downtown hold up San Diego is a fraud 70 degrees blue skies that's what they say every day 70 degrees blue skies it's done nothing but rain since I've got here it's cold I want to go back to Ohio where at least it's predictable at least you expect it I want my money back well good to have you with me anyway anyway the number's still the same, 877-573-7825, 877 equal is the number to call to get onto the program. One of several reasons why you might want to do that. One, to ask a question or a comment about something in your life or someone else's life that uh, perhaps you'd like to tap into my 93 IQ points and we can put our heads together and come up with a nugget of solutions, something that might be helpful to you or not. And even if it's not helpful to you, you can, you can hang up thinking, well, I feel rather accomplished. If that's all that guy had to offer, I'm doing okay. Sometimes people call in because they have a generic question. Uh, Dr. Ray, I was at a party the other night, and a very, very virulent conversation came up, and we were debating back and forth about pseudosiesis. And uh, I weighed in as best I could, but it it got ugly. So sometimes people say, "Hey, tell me what pseudosiesis is. And the intersection, since I'm at Catholic Answers, the intersection between faith and psychology. It's usually one of my favorite topics. i got a couple books on that one. Notice how I just... Subtly put a book plug in there. 877 7825 is the number to call to get onto the program. Now I got to turn and see my list of opening monologues. Oh, yeah, there's one. The comment is made often that because of the profiles, the pictures, the Disney World. Lives of people on Facebook, it's easy to feel inept. Everybody's smiling, everybody's happy, everybody's accomplished, everybody's traveling the world, everybody has kids that are, well, if you're a Catholic, St. John Bosco or Little Mother Teresa, and people feel inept. My life is not like that. And there's a lot of research that indicates that Facebook and social media is a prime way to make people feel awful. About the normality of their life. See, normal is now viewed as wretched because it's compared to the glowing, glittering profiles that you see on social media. I was thinking about this the other day and I realized that another factor feeding parental insecurity, not person insecurity, not marriage insecurity, not life insecurity, let's go to parents, is social media. Social media is kind of like those Christmas letters that you get. My son Forbes um, turned six, and he won the uh, National Six-Year-Old of the Year Award. And for his birthday, uh, we will be going on a cruise that we were awarded because we will have visits from the Ghost of Elmas and the Pope, and uh, a, a rock band will come You see those things, and they're, oh, man, they just make you want to not read them, don't they? And you're thinking, oh, my gosh. And you want to say, let me see the next year where all this is, if you're honest. Well, social media is a Christmas letter on steroids. If you look at it, it looks like everything is going so very, very smoothly in these families. The kids are better than average, they're doing well. This is the picture of her scoring the third goal in the soccer match, and your poor kid sits on the sidelines and gets confused about which direction the ball's supposed to go, but her kid has just scored the third goal. They they photoshopped it. Social media makes parents feel inept. You recognize that what you're seeing is a snapshot. And it's a very embellished snapshot it can make you feel think react like you're just not able to measure up to that I will have routinely parents in my office who will say you know I just I look at my friends I look at their kids and I think how are they doing so well And I usually can say, I see behind the front doors, trust me, everybody is all too human. Now, I don't think that's going to be comfort to you. Well, you know, I have my problems, but they do too, therefore I feel better. No, I'm not saying that. I'm just saying you don't want to live in the world of parental illusion, which is, they're all just doing so wonderful, they're all so successful, they've all parented so well, and look at me, I'm a schlep. You could respond by posting your own falsified images of family life, just pick and choose, you know, the best ones. I tried that once, I did. I had to be dragged kicking and screaming to Facebook, because I didn't want any part of it. But I had a dear lady that I met many years ago. She was in uh, human resources. She was very good in media and marketing. She returned to her Catholic faith. She got a hold of me. She said, you got to go on Facebook. I said, well, I don't want to. I don't want to say, look, here's me eating a bagel. I had this bagel this morning. Here, isn't it neat? I can't do that. She said, you're not going to do that. We'll, we'll put out stuff to help people. But every once in a while, she says, you got to put up something personal. I guess that's the law of Facebook. You got to put up something personal. So I told her, I said, usually I want to put up something, me doing something dumb. You know, take a a picture of uh, the inside of my daughter's car where there's French fries from last year still on the floor. So given that, be very, or in the words of Elmer Fudd, Be very, very careful about what you see on Facebook. It's nice to keep up with family and friends. That's great. But remember, you're just seeing the tops of their family life. The glitter, the good stuff, the successes. But the everyday normality, the everyday ups and downs is not there so keep that in mind you probably feel insecure enough as that is don't add that to it I would be delighted to hear from you. remember now this is three hours earlier than what you're used to so if in fact you're in the eastern time zone it's 10 o'clock for me so I'm going to hear you three hours earlier and if I mess up my answer I've got three hours to correct it
6: The Wisdom of Mother Angelica. Isn't it awesome that we today do not recognize His presence in the Eucharist? Is it because we really don't go to Him in humbleness of heart and say, Lord, I don't believe. Help my unbelief. Lord, I want to see You. I want to recognize You. I cannot live without You. Are we saying that?
5: EWTN.
4: Live Truth. Live Catholic.
2: You're listening to The Least Worst of The Doctor Is In with Dr. Ray Garendi, so please, no calls at this time.
1: Joining me here, Dr. Ray Gerindy. the doctor is in. I'm the doctor who is in. If you want to be in, as in cool, as in present, 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call. I probably don't have to tell you that number. You probably got it scattered around the house for emergency purposes. Probably refrigerator door is the best place to put it. I go into the kitchen, and I don't know why I'm there, but I always think the is in the refrigerator. I don't know why that is. You know, they say that uh, my dryer made my clothes shrink. That isn't what did it. The refrigerator is what made my clothes shrink. Ann from Minnesota. Boy, Ann, somebody's diagnosing your kid the wrong way. How are you?
3: Hi, I am as good as can be.
1: Well, that's hot. Wait a minute. How do you know what can be is?
3: I have no idea, I'm probably wrong
1: that That's right. you could be a lot better, but you just don't know it yet, right <laughs> right <laughs> Fortunately, at the end of this song, you will be can be better. go ahead
3: Hi, so um, I have a son he's adopted um he had he was part of the family before my second cousin, and I got him when he was thirteen months old um and i had some friends who helped me out a lot back at that time and for the last few years they've been extremely helpful um they've been helpful in many practical ways i've also kind of let them know what struggles we were having at the time um for example my son was having some severe attachment issues and he could get really aggressive with me um and with uh, people who were in like caretaker roles so like his aunts or his grandma um, but other than that, he was he was pretty okay. He played very, fairly well with friends and stuff like that. Um, the last time that he got aggressive with me, honestly, was last June. So we've come a long way. However, um, these same friends of mine, they ended up becoming his godparents. Um, a few months ago, back in um, September... They started to have these issues that they didn't originally tell me about. I didn't find out about them until January. Um, and they've been using language, I guess, and telling people like the school or um, other friends of ours, their parents, just other people in, in his support system that my son is he's violent and aggressive and that he is attacking their children, that he is targeting their children things like that, and I just I don't honest I honestly don't see the same things that what they're describing I don't see attacking I see a boy just wanting to wrestle or I see a kid responding to other kids the same way that they've treated him things like that normal kid stuff as far as I know um and I'm just kind of in this really tricky position now where I'm like you know I I guess I can see where they're coming from. I think they've been put in a difficult position, having known all of his issues in the past, and still letting him play with their kids, even though, as far as I know, he hasn't had these behaviors with kids. And yet, I almost feel like I don't want to be friends with them anymore, even though they're his godparents. And I just, um, I have a whole lot of different oh, thoughts that, on the that, matter, and I don't quite know what to and do. And that it.
1: could be that could be the that could be the last option here. We got things we can do before we get to that point first step okay go to these people and get specifics you want to know did. you're not there to defend your son you want to say please tell me i want to know what's going on as they describe it you may be thinking to yourself oh, wait a minute come on man now those two guys wrestling around okay so my kid got a little rough all right no no don't don't dispute just hear it out hear it out I then you make a originally? judgment
3: and then as I looked right. at it, like over a month, I was like, yeah, I seriously don't see what they're looking at. At first, I took everything that they said and went, oh, gosh, they must be completely right um, because he has had issues in the past. So I, I initially took everything they said at face value. Um, but over time, as I've been watching him and watching various behaviors of his, I really don't think it's the same thing going on as what they've described.
1: Well, here's the problem. You observe him when he's with you. You don't observe him when he's not with you and he's with them and he's at the school. Different context. So what I would suggest is you find out also from the school what he's doing. And you have them set up a little system so that you know exactly what their complaint is about what he's doing at the school.
3: school Then you deal with it at home. Zero issues. Oh, that's good. All right.
1: That's a good sign. That's a very good sign, then. So, that leaves us with your friends. uh, Godparents, actually. Ask them Mm -hmm. point blank, what would you want me to do about this? Are Are you asking that he not play with your kids? Is that what you're asking? Or, it might be as straightforward as, then let's keep him supervised when they're playing together. Rather than saying, you know what, I don't really want to be around you anymore if that's how you're going to view my kid. So, once you find out, and perhaps, they they may be of the mindset, and I don't know this, and maybe you do more than me, they may be of the mindset of, well, it's got to be your kid because it's not my kid. That happens a lot. So you find out. Now you times. did say something. Yeah, you, you got to find out, and you got to ask him. What would you like me to do about this? Maybe the best thing to do is we supervise. We don't let them play downstairs in the basement where trouble can erupt, and we don't know who did what to whom, when, where, and how much. Now, here's the other thing you said, and I'm going to talk about this in a future look back call. So you got him at 13 months. I'm going to assume that that 13 months and the womb environment may not have been the greatest. Is that a safe assumption?
3: That's a very good assumption. They were not good.
1: Okay, which means, now I can't say this about your son. I can say it in general. When that is the history, there is a higher chance that this is going to be a harder-to-raise kid. Maybe a little more impulsive, maybe slower to form a conscience, maybe a little more sneaky, those kinds of things. That's not, well, it, it, it happens. It happens more than when you have a good womb with a good early history and all of that. So it's possible that your little guy is aware of when he can do these things and when he can't. He won't do them with you. All right, man, he won't do him a school, but in interacting with other kids, he may see that, uh, you know, it's kind of a loosey-goosey sort of interaction, and I can let some of my impulses hang out. Not unusual to see a kid have more peer problems when he is developing socialization skills more slowly. So that's all stuff to consider, and that's what I would do, but I, I would say last resort is you write those people out of your life. Very last resort. There you go. Thank you. Thank you, Ann. Thank you for the call. And we have another Ann. I guess this is Anne Day. Uh, We have another Ann from Oregon. And this is a good call because I am here at Catholic Answers, and I want to impress them with my defending the faith skills. Hi, Ann from Oregon. How are you?
2: I'm good. Good, Dr. Ray. How are you?
1: Don't call me Father, Ray. You know that, don't you?
2: No, I know.
1: That's yes. right.
2: I, as I was telling the screen caller, uh, you know, I heard again in the gospel uh, not to call anyone on earth father. I, I'm not good at mm-hmm. reciting, as a lot of Catholics aren't.
1: Mm-hmm. Call they're, no man father. You only have one father. Yeah, that is no your man father man in father.
2: heaven.
1: Yeah. My, yeah. my dad...
2: My dad, as we grew up, all of us kids, he when we said father, he would correct us and say, no, I'm your dad, and he would tell us that your father is in heaven. So we call priests father, and I know, yeah. I know the concept, uh, but can you explain that?
1: Sure can. Right after that, our Lord also said, call no man teacher. Now, you know, Dr., is from the Latin, which means teacher. So don't you dare call me Dr. Ray. That's right, you're calling me teacher. All right, that's the first thing. There are seven places in the New Testament where Scripture uses the word Father. St. Paul says, I'm your spiritual father. Our Lord called Abraham, Father Abraham. So what happens was, and this is also dangerous And and, and certainly not criticizing your dad. He meant, well, I'm sure. All too often what happens is you find a verse, and you run with that one verse, and you don't understand it in terms of all of Scripture, which is what the Catholic Church teaches us to do. By the way, this is interesting. I think we got to get rid of the Ten Commandments, because... Our Lord says, honor thy father and thy mother. Now, what's he doing? Is he double-minded? Does he not know you don't know, call your father father? Honor your birth person and your birth other person. Yeah, see, that's the problem you run into. By the way, though, you bring up a great point, Ann. Uh, Scott Hahn uh, addressed this once. He said that was one of the best verses that he had when he was a fundamentalist to pull people out of the Catholic Church. They would throw that verse at them, and they would simply say, Our Lord clearly says you don't call anybody father, and you guys walk around calling your priest father. Totally unscriptural. Non-scriptural. We call our priest father, of course, because they're spiritual fathers. St. Paul said he's a spiritual father. So there are seven places. Go, go to a concordance and just uh, click in the word father and see how many places in the New Testament where our Lord or someone else uses the word father. Okay. Our Lord meant... Our Lord meant you have one Father above all fathers, and that's your heavenly Father, and you have one teacher above all teachers, that's God and our Lord. So, that's what happens when you just decide, I'm going to look at this verse, I'm going to take it extremely literally, and I will run with it, build a theology on it, and ignore all the other verses that say something exactly the opposite. And thank you for the call, dear. 877-573-7825. Uh, I was just noted there by Andrew, Catholic Answers, A-N-N, S-W-E-R-S. Give me a call. I want to hear from you. This is about the midpoint, so that's when the second volley of calls come in. Because people think, okay, he's addressed whomever called. Now I can get in. Please do so.
4: Father, Benedict
0: Rochelle. Some great people have shown respect for God. Can I read you a little quotation from Albert Einstein, who many times showed a great respect for religion and was one of the great admirers of Pope Pius XII for his stand against the Holocaust during the Second World War. Einstein wrote, "...the fairest thing we can experience is the mysterious." Is the fundamental emotion that stands at the cradle of all true art and science. A knowledge of the existence of something we can't penetrate. Of the manifestations of the profoundest reason and the most radiant beauty, which are only accessible to our minds in the most elementary form. It is this knowledge and this emotion that constitute the truly religious attitude. Oh my, so beautifully said.
6: The people you know and trust are on EWTN.
5: While Mary's not mentioned as often as Moses, not mentioned as often as Peter or Paul, her role in Scripture is even more significant. She's absolutely unique. There are many prophets, there are many apostles, but there's only one God-bearer. There are a lot of people who proclaim the Word of God. There's only one woman who bore the Word of God quite literally within her. She's utterly unique in that she literally transmits the Word of God to the world. So when the Word of God wanted to take on human flesh, whose human flesh did he choose? It was Mary's. She donated out of her own life substance the flesh of Jesus. The body prepared for Christ is taken from the Blessed Mother. Nobody else in salvation history occupies such a role. Cresta in the Afternoon weekdays at 4 Eastern on
2: EWTN radio
1: hi everybody this is dr. Ray you are listening to a least worst of the doctor is in we have no best of but this is truly one of our least worst I figured it out talked about this before. That bumper music is, what, Andrew, 20 seconds? Something like that? 25 seconds? They vary? If I simply let the bumper music play all the way to the end, and I don't say a word, what do we got? Five breaks? Four breaks? So that would be approximately two minutes of free time. The show is uh, about 48 minutes. So if I did that for five weeks, saying nothing, I would get one free show every five weeks. Just letting the bumper music play all the way. Andrew, give me some bumper music if it goes about seven minutes, would you? And then it can just take me straight into the next break. 877-57-EQUAL is the number to call. I know a lot of people call in the beginning and they think, okay, I don't want to get in line. I don't want to listen to this guy the whole time. Well, the bottom of the show is a good time to call also. Because there are free moments. And as I always said, we don't we don't take callers in order. We take them for various reasons. Now, we had a call, keeping with our Anne motif. Anne from Ann Arbor. Uh, is it okay to take her young kids, Angelo and Andrea, <laughs> to a funeral? The kids are two and six. The two-year-old doesn't even know what's going on. All right? Flat out. The six-year-old is right on the cusp of starting to be able to understand a little bit about, and I don't want to say death, a little bit about uh, maybe transitioning to someplace else. Now, most of the time when we talk to a six-year-old about Grandpa went to be with Jesus, that's what we say. We don't ever say Grandpa went to be with the devil. Ever notice that? Everybody goes to be with Jesus. So even though people say we're not universalists, we talk like universalists. Universalists meaning everybody goes to heaven. It's easy enough to say to a six-year-old kid, well, when your life here is done, then you go before our Lord. And, And he, if you've lived for him, as grandpa did, now... Uh, he welcomes you into heaven, and that's, that's the way it goes, and most people live to grandpa's age. So that kind of tones it down. Now, the question was, will they be psychologically scarred? Well, we, we, live, in, we live in fear of psychologically scarring our children. There never used to be. We used to deal with situations as they came up, use our best judgment, try to explain something to a child, and then we move on. Well, now we've got this overall riding black cloud hanging over people that essentially says, don't mess it up, because if you do, it's going to bury down inside your little kid's head and going to percolate for 27 years, and it's going to pop up when they're 31, and then... You have to look back and see exactly where you were wrong. You left him on the pot for four minutes too long, and that's why he's on Springer. You named him John because you were hoping it would help in the toilet training. Ryan from Ohio. Ryan's using a word there that's a shibboleth in pop psychology. That word's used all over the place. Actually, it's a very serious personality disorder, but we use it, as kind of just a personality description. Hi, Ryan, how are you?
2: Uh, good. How are you, Dr. A?
1: Okay, sir. What made you decide that you could label your wife a narcissist?
2: Well, we've been married for some time, and I just um, kind of everything um, just kind of falls on me, the, you know, taking care of the kids, the household, work, laundry, I just kind of everything. Um, she... It's not just with me, but kind of with every relationship she has. She's always the victim. Everybody has wronged her. She never says she's sorry about anything. Um, Everything gets turned to being the victim, even if I ask for help with different things. And this is just stuff that's been going on for some time. And just recently, I've I've had family members that have told me what they see, and I just kind of denied it. But up until recently, um, I realized that she also has been. Uh, talking to some some guy that I don't know on uh, Snapchat. And I confronted about this a couple different times, and she denies everything, says I live in a fantasy world. and But I know that the conversations are still going on. She set her settings to delete everything immediately. And I kind of just...
1: It's still there, Ryan?
2: Hi, can you hear me?
1: Did we lose Ryan? Oh, he's gone. He dropped off. Okay. Let me just address this question before I go to Chris. He's using the word narcissist to kind of summarize his life with his wife. Uh, If what he's saying is within the bounds of of reality there, which I I can't know, I don't know, but I, I have to assume that he is describing it somewhat accurately, then he is seeing a woman who's extremely discontent very discontent about her life, about herself, about everything. So he's taking the load, and he's doing it for the kid's sake, and that's heroic. It's absolutely heroic. If he's decided he's not going to divorce her, then he is in a situation where he has to make the best of that situation for the sake of his kids and to find his own personal peace at some level and not allow her to get to him. The next step, and this happens often, is that when somebody thinks... The source of my misery is that other person. And if I were free of that other person, I would be content and happy. They are much more likely to look for someone else, to be their happiness. And if what he's saying is true and she's searching, then I don't have problems understanding that she thinks if I get rid of him, I'll be okay. Interesting. I um, wish he he left. He dropped probably his cell phone. Uh, I'm going to go to Chris at the beginning of the next segment. Eight seven seven five seven three. Seventy-eight twenty-five. got to make an announcement i'm going to be in the cincinnati diocese on the 1920 and 21 going to do a mission there three different parishes if you are listening through our affiliates in that area uh, most prominently sacred heart am 700 come on out uh you go to the website or you contact josh Englefield, and the number the contact number is on my website drray.com under speaking engagements It'll be there. So three different talks, Sunday night, Monday night, Tuesday night. I guess they tell me they get a a pretty good turnout for their uh, events like this um, next week. So I'd love to see you there. Right now, I am in San Diego. Tonight, going to speak at, uh, I believe it's St. Anne's to the Young Adult Group. And then tomorrow, San Diego, Legatus. And then I will be Friday night. I'll make the... Details on that known, uh, again, in San Diego here. And if you want uh, information on that, just call Catholic Answers. If you call Catholic Answers, they, they know where everything is happening. This is Dr. Ray.
6: with Teresa Tomio, The AP is now saying that news people cannot refer to pregnancy resource centers as pregnancy resource centers or crisis pregnancy centers. They have to refer to them as anti-abortion centers because we're misleading the public by saying that they're offering resources, apparently. It is about consistently putting forth a culture of death, do anything you want sexually, being extremely woke every time you turn around. This is more proof that all they care about is their own agenda. And they're doing this to their own demise. If you look at the ratings, for example, of CNN, if you look at the subscription rates, right, of various newspapers, whether it's online or still hard copy and in print, continuing to decrease. And yet they do not care because it's about the agenda. Catholic Connections, Teresa Tomio, Weekdays, 9 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio.
7: Christ is the answer, with Father John Ricardo. We just did our parish mission a couple weeks ago now, and I suggested that in the course of the mission that we do something like a a little mini spiritual assessment of our lives. I don't have to show this to anybody, but a great chance for us just to, with real honesty, just between us and Jesus, ask ourselves some questions. First question, given the fact that half of Catholics don't think God is even personal, would be to ask ourselves that, do I think God is personal? then to ask myself, do I think a relationship with Jesus is possible? Do I have a relationship with Jesus? And if so, what's it look like? And then perhaps a little bit more awkwardly or painfully, to ask Jesus from his perspective, what's the friendship that we have with him look like? How would he describe our friendship with him? That might be a hard conversation to have.
2: You're listening to The Least Worst of The Doctor Is In with Dr. Ray Garendi. So please, no calls at this time.
1: Dr. Ray Garendi, Catholic Media's Renaissance man, nine-time defending champion, dominating the Humility Award competition. Actually, it's very easy to win the Humility Award. You just can't show up to get it. You show up to get it, you're acknowledging you have humility, and if you acknowledge you have humility, you don't have humility. So humility is that one virtue that you can't claim you have, because if you do, you lose it. It's tricky stuff. This humility is very, very tricky stuff. That's why I always love to hear these people say, I'm so humbled. What? What are you saying? (laughs) I'm humbled. Um, Okay, before I go back to your calls, got to do some congratulating here. This is, uh, congratulations, long-time EWTN radio partners, Divine Mercy Apostolate in Polson, Montana, 13 years, Holy Spirit Radio in the greater Philadelphia area, 24 years. I know, I started there with them. I was uh, just right out of middle school when that happened. And Dale Meyer and Frankie Eliason at Holy Spirit, congratulations. And then another partner. JMJ Radio, Pennsylvania, 15 years. Jim and Carol Lewinsky, great team of JMJ Radio, now with several FM signals. Way to go. Thank you, guys. Chris from Columbus, Ohio. Daughter is reflecting something that's happening big time, behind the scenes in education, uh, because the publicity, anyway, in education is that... There are a lot of things going on that parents wouldn't like. Well, this is a situation that uh, Chris's daughter, who sounds like uh, she's pretty sensitive, is having trouble separating school life from life-life. Hi, Chris.
4: Hey, good afternoon, or good morning there. So uh, that, Howdy, that's sir. exactly Thank it. You. So, you know, I'm reminded of the, um, the, the new heart skit you always talk about where you just tell her to, to stop it. Just, Stop it. She comes, she comes home, and she has a very tough time separating her, you know, what she's learning about these kids and their home situations and and trying to teach them. she brings it home, and it's got her stressed and depressed, and she's only student teaching. So, you know, I know that you deal in that world as well, and what kind of tips and tricks can you recommend that will help separate, you know, your work life from your your home life.
1: Well, here's my first question. Does she want to stay a teacher?
4: <laughs> well, that, that, uh, that's a big uh, the question right now. So, um,
1: Is she having she, doubts? She wants
4: to, but she, again, she's having a tough time separating.
1: Did you ask her? Did you say, um, if this continues to bother you, would you want to stay in teaching?
4: Uh, yes. Yes. So she's only been student, student teaching now for about 10 weeks. And uh, so she's getting a real taste of it. And she, she's dealing in, a, in a, a community that's fairly depressed. And, um, and so that's, that's uh, what she's dealing with.
1: I'll tell you what helps me. I live pretty much in the world of human misery. My, my guess would be that what I hear about people's lives who come to me is perhaps a lot more tangled than what your daughter hears. Now, the difference is children are much more vulnerable than adults. So she probably has a little bit of a heartbreaking response to these little kids. What level does she teach? Middle school. Riddle. okay i think if it were me i'd i'd take it from a couple directions i saw a statistic chris that said 55% of those currently teaching are considering ways to get out which is sad not surprising. Be- yeah it's not surprising because we have, we have set up and this is, again, a systemic problem as I see it, we have set up the schools and the teachers to have to handle what is not happening at home, if there is a home. And as a result, they don't have the authority, they don't have the leverage, they don't have, oftentimes, the administrative backup. So they're being asked to deal with these problems with one hand, two hands maybe, tied behind her back. That's a problem. I think your daughter could handle better and help more these kids if she had the authority to help them. I think I would ask her, how frustrated are you because these kids are coming in with all kinds of struggles and uh, because of the way the school is set up, because of their principles, their policies, you you can't do a whole lot about it. That's one. I'd ask her that. Because I want to see how much of this is mixing in with her own frustration at her helplessness. That's one.
4: Two, here's
1: what I do. Okay, and that's the number one thing I see of young teachers. They come out of college and they get shell-shocked. They were not prepared for the reality of what is happening to the American family and what is happening in so many of our school systems. So much. Our school systems, in many ways, have swallowed a lot of ideas that don't work. Don't work at all. And what is happening is the teachers are just getting burdened and crushed. Many of them, many of them say, I can't wait to get out of here. I gotta get out of here. I can't when am I gonna when can I retire? So find out if that's it. And find out if there's anything that she can learn to do about this. Now, I would say this it may be that given that she's fresh out of college and she was given all kinds of notions that she's finding out don't work in reality. It may be that if she alters some of the way she approaches things she might not be able to do that now because she's student teaching and she got somebody looking over her shoulder but if when she gets her own classroom assuming she makes it to there she can do things more her way that may settle down and give these kids a stable six hours a day or one hour a day in her class whatever it is here's what I do in dealing with people's lives I recognize I'm going to help who I can help. That's it. The majority of people I'm probably not going to be able to help because their lives are either too complicated, they don't have the power to do things about it, or they have no motivation. So I live with the successes that I can see. That's what I do. And I think your daughter might have to start looking at who can I most influence? You know, the, the little seventh grader who's kind of got a, a delicate personality who just absolutely blossoms when she talks to him a little bit during free time. And she is such a stable, loving force in his life, and she can see that he this attachment that she has to him is making a difference. The other six kids that she's fretting about uh, may or may not respond to her way. So she's got to go with, she's got to stop the number game. You've got to find one or two that you can really make a difference with so you can get your success that way. Did you ever hear that, uh, supposedly it's a spurious story, I don't know where it came from, but uh, the kid walking along the beach littered with starfish, did you hear about that story, supposedly? I have not. And he would every so often bend over and throw a starfish back into sea. And a grown-up said to him, what are you doing? There are thousands of these things here. You can't make a difference to all these. And the kid, according to the story, said, you're right. But to the one I throw back, it makes all the difference. And I think that's the way your daughter's got to look at it. You know, the one kid she touches makes all the difference. She can't come home and say, well, you know, there's so many of them, I'm just overwhelmed. I can't throw all these starfish back in the sea. I think she might be in a little bit of a transition period where she's shell-shocked. She's looking at it like, oh, man, they didn't prepare me for this at all. That'd be my guess. And I'd ask her that. I'd say, hey. Did all of your book learning that you got in your education in college uh, get you ready for this? And she'll say, not at all. Not at all. They told us to use a sticker system. And, uh, yeah, okay, these kids set fire to the stickers. Yeah, I know. Just a th- couple of thoughts there, Chris. Okay? Great. Thank, thank you very much. Right. Thanks, buddy. Ryan, you're back. I'll be back, too. I can take a break here. We'll talk on the other side.
6: The Catholic Catechism tells us that an evil end can corrupt an objectively good act. Our Lord pointed this out when He spoke of Pharisees praying and fasting, both objectively good acts, in order to be seen by men, a morally corrupt end which therefore corrupts all the actions. On the other hand, a good intention cannot justify an objectively evil action. One cannot turn fornication, a morally evil action in and of itself, by participating in it, even to save a life. Fornication is always wrong because it involves a disorder of the will, a moral evil. It is an error, the Catholic Catechism tells us, therefore to judge an act merely by considering the intention that inspired it or the circumstances such as social pressure or emergency. The end never justifies the means. This is Peggy Stanton, and this has been the Order of Malta's Minute with the Catechism.
2: You're listening to The Least Worst Of The Doctor Is In with Dr. Ray Gurendic. So please, no calls at this time. Hit it, Jerry!
1: When I, uh used to play in the restaurants and supper clubs. That's the kind of music he had to play during the dinner hour. You weren't allowed to get into the rock. You had to play the uh, bossa novas, the sambas, the Anton Carlos Jobim type songs. Ryan calling. He uh, left me. He left. Probably your phone dropped, right, Ryan?
2: I did. Thank you for taking the call yeah. again.
1: All right, buddy. Two well, things: If you uh, call your wife a narcissist, that just that, that doesn't tell you anything. That just is saying she's extremely hard to live with, very, very hard to live with, demanding, won't apologize, self-centered, all kinds of things. Right? She's. Would you say she's an extremely unhappy individual?
2: She is. She well, yes and no. Uh, um. Like, she denies any kind of, I was saying before, she can denies any kind of, like, wrongdoing. She's always the victim in every situation of any relationship. Well, that
1: makes somebody pretty uh, like unhappy it. if you're always the victim.
2: Yeah. Um, if I tried to ask for, like, you know, help with the housework, like, she'll go from zero to 100, you know, screaming at me. If, you know, cause if she takes that criticism. And it was, like, like, talking with the guy, you know, she, you know, denies it. You know, it says, oh, they're just jokingly flirting. And... It, it, it just, it's got me to the point over the years I just I 2nd second, second guess myself on everything, and I guess my question is, is if it sounds that that does sound like narcissism and kind of what to do with
1: it. Well, even if it is, that doesn't help you. So you just put a label on it as all you did. It doesn't okay. help you. Here's what I would suggest on the basis of what little I know I'm just going to take you at your face. If you've lived with this for years? If you look back and say, I I didn't know her when I married her. I didn't realize she would be this difficult to be be partnered with. Then what I would suggest is that you lower your expectations. Don't try to get her to do housework. Don't try to get her to cooperate. Don't try to get her to carry 12% of the load when she bristles at doing that. All it seems to be is raising arguments, correct? That's correct. That's right. And that gives her fodder for saying, you're very difficult to live with. You know that, don't you? I'm unhappy living with you because you're always pushing on me. You're always nagging me. You're always fighting with me. You're always telling me how I fall short, right? Yes. (laughs) Yes. Uh. So you're going to have to just shut your mouth and do the kinds of things you've been doing to keep the house running for the kids. And to have your own peace. And to recognize I don't really expect a whole lot back from my wife. I don't. Whatever I might get is a bonus. But my goal is not to fight with her. I'm not going to fight with her. I'm not going to ask her after she's just trashed another room. Why do you have to leave it like that? Why couldn't you just pick that up and don't do it? Don't do it. Every time you do, it just leads to a fight, does it not? Yes. Does she ever say... Good point, Ryan. I hadn't thought of it that way. Thank you for pointing that out to me. Ever?
2: No. I'm always getting on her, and it's the same fight every time.
1: Don't do it. Stop it. Stop it. Now, the argument to that, people say, well, you know, if I stop it, she'll just think it's fine. She can do whatever she wants. Well, yes and no, because she's doing whatever she wants now, according to you, and when you try to pull her along into a little more cooperation you just fight she fights and then she blames you if if it were me I would stop that's it I'm no longer going to ask anything of her and hopefully that might make her a little softer because as long as she can blame you for getting on her as she puts it then she's got justification now I don't know what you're gonna do about the guy I think you're going to probably have to just see where that goes uh, because she'll she's not about to give it up. She's not going to give it up for you because it seems like her attitude is, I'm unhappy, you're the reason I'm unhappy, so he makes me happy. That be my guess. I can't say because I'm not there. Thank you for joining me here live from Catholic Answers. Not Catholic Answers live, but live from. I'm Dr. Ray. Thank you for the company. Tonight, St. Anne's uh, Legatus uh, San Diego uh, uh, join as Legatus. That's tomorrow night. And then check, check elsewhere for next week in the Diocese of Cincinnati.
0: For information on Dr. Ray's presentations, books, and CDs, visit DRA.com and follow him on Facebook. The Doctor is In is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network.